the one cell layer will die before the next cell layer can be added on top of it. And you end up with a bunch of dead cell layers. Yeah, yeah. So these cells that they're layering are kind of pre-embedded in some sort of substrate that can act as a scaffold. The ones that I have seen actually look like the FDM printers, the fused deposition modeling, in that this string of material kind of comes out a nozzle. This string of material, however, Mm. is a... a, So it's a um, mixture of cells and substrate. Correct, correct. Yeah, it's cells kind of floating within some a, a scaffolding that can support the growth of these cells and also kind of stick to whatever is being printed. Welcome to Only Tech Will Tell, the podcast where we give you an understanding of the full scope of today's most significant innovations and their implications for the future. Let's get started. All right, welcome back to Only Tech Will Tell. On this episode, we're going to be talking about 3D printing. It was fun to be back. It's been a little while since we've recorded an episode, so this is uh, an exciting one to get back into. Um, Yeah, a lot of hype surrounding 3D printing, especially a few years ago. So kind of fun for us to uh, dive into this one and provide a little bit of background um, and talk about, of course, the future like we always like to talk about. So uh, I think this will be this will be a good one to get back into. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, there was a ton of hype in the past. Maybe we can get into that a little bit later. But first, I'd like to just start on getting people kind of caught up on the terminology of 3D printing, the different types of 3D printing, um, just to make sure that we're on the same page moving forward before we get too deep into this discussion. So those kind of most common units that you might see on Amazon, places like that, those are called FDM or fused deposition modeling printers. And so basically what those do, you can kind of think about any 3D structure in terms of a series of layers. And so those the heads of those 3D printers kind of extrude a heated liquid plastic in a way that continually builds up layers to form an eventual 3D structure. And that's kind of the theme of all 3D printers. They're actually kind of 2D printers in that they're continually printing different planes of material, different layers of material that over time build up to a 3D structure. But the way they do that differs. And so these fused deposition modeling printers extrude a liquid plastic to create those layers building up to a 3D structure. Yeah, and I I think that's a really great way to describe it, that these 3D printers are really just 2D printers that layer each of these 2D layers on top of each other successively until they create a 3D structure. Um, And we'll get into in, in a little bit some of the drawbacks and benefits to 3D printing as opposed to traditional industrial production techniques. But one of the unique things with with 3D printing, and, and this this applies for all of the different 3D printing types that, that we'll be talking about, they all start with a 3D model. So someone has to create a digital model in a computer that is then sent to a printer. And this is typically done in AutoCAD software, or other, or other types of computer-aided design software. Um, and then this 3D model that is digitally created is then sliced up into 2D slices and the printer layers each one on top of the, on top of the other. Um, and, and this is um, pretty consistent across all the different types of, of 3D printing that we'll talk about, even though there's a little bit of variation. So again, starting with a, a digital model, slicing it up into 2D layers, and then layering them on top of each other is kind of foundational to how, do th- how, how 3D printing works. 
Exactly. And so that first one we discussed again is fused deposition modeling. The second one is stereolithography. And this um, is, is a kind of a completely different technique. Instead of taking a solid plastic and melting it and extruding it through a small tip, stereolithography uses a bath of liquid resin. And then there is, this resin is photosensitive, meaning that it hardens in response to certain frequencies of light. And so with this stereolithography, you have a bath of liquid resin that is kind of exposed to light that's shaped in certain patterns. And those patterns harden, and those hardened patterns create the layers. That's kind of the basics of stereolithography. This is kind of the danger of explaining something that is probably extremely easy to understand if you just watch a YouTube video, <laughs> uh, but we're trying to explain it over an auditory medium. So, No, exactly. And I feel the very same way. It actually took me a long time to, to figure this out, but it's pretty simple if you just look it up on YouTube. Yeah. Instead of <laughs> with this stereolithography, you're, you basically have your medium already laying out in front of you and then a laser kind of hardens just the part that it wants and that entire platform is then lowered down and another massive layer is, is layered on top and then the laser cuts just the part or hardens just the part that should be included in, in that next layer of the models. So look it up on YouTube. In 30 seconds, you'll understand what we're talking about. And in a similar fashion, the next one we're going to be talking about is selective laser sintering. Whereas stereolithography uses a bath of liquid resin that is hardened in particular shapes to build up layers. Um, selective laser sintering is a similar mechanism, except that it uses a bed of powder. And typically this is used for 3D printing metal objects. And so you've got a bed of metal powder and as the laser goes over parts that it wants to harden it solidifies that metal powder or fuses it rather into you know a layer of material and then the whole bed shifts again and there's more powder coated on top and then you get this successive layering of hardened materials in shapes that eventually build up to a 3d structure yeah and this is this is one of the the mechanisms that's often used in higher quality prototyping of uh, industrial components uh, and things like that. Again, because you're using that metal, uh, you can you can build things that are a little bit more sturdy and strong. And um, and th this is the one that has, has some more uh, industrial applications. Definitely. And we'll get into those industrial applications in just a little bit. Um, the next one is laminated object manufacturing. And this is, again, it's harder to explain in words than it would be to show you a video. But laminated object manufacturing essentially you cut out from, from a pre-made slice of material. Let's just use paper as an example. Um, you, can, you, you can use it with paper, you can use it with plastic, but basically sheets of material. And you cut out a shape. So you cut out a, a circle, right? And then another sheet comes over top of it. You cut out a circle in that piece of paper. Then another sheet of paper comes over top of it. And you cut out another piece of paper. And then eventually you build up all of those circles that you've cut up. And now you have a cylinder. That's a very simplified way of explaining it. But again, it's, it's quick and it's best, um, best used for things that don't really need a lot of resolution, meaning they don't have a lot of small details. And then the last one I want to touch on just very quickly is direct metal deposition. And this is a technique that's in some ways similar to the fuse deposition modeling we discussed before, but it essentially uses MIG welding and 
builds up parts in successive layers of metal through a process similar to MIG welding. Um, not super common just yet. Uh, more in use for, again, things that don't need a high level of detail, um, but it does exist. So I wanted to make sure that we touched on it. For sure. And and I think that's that's a pretty good overview of some of the major different types of, of 3D printers and 3D printing processes. Um, and, and there's a little bit of variation with some of these, some that, again, use plastic, some that use metal. Um, but with all of these, there's typically, in addition to the actual printing itself, which is, again, layering those 2D layers on top of each other um, in, in different ways, there typically is some post-processing that's required. So you can, you can kind of think about it this way. You can't print something into thin air, right? So you're, you're going to need some kind of support structure in some cases when you're printing certain shapes. Uh, and so those, those support structures will of course kind of be stuck to that final product. And when you disconnect those or detach those support structures from, from the product, you'll need to like sand it down or shape it in, in such a way that, that you can kind of smooth o- over those edges. That, that's just one example of, of the post-processing. But after you print something, especially when you're prototyping or if this is for industrial use, you're going to want to do some post-processing to make sure that it's ready for whatever application uh, you're using it for. Definitely. And, and that's actually one of the big drawbacks of 3D printers is that for the most part now, you're not able to get a finished product straight from the 3D printer. Um, and along those lines, let's get into discussing some of the benefits and drawbacks of 3D printers currently and how they're currently being used. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of benefits and, and limitations, uh, of course, to, to any new technology, and, and 3D printing is, is no different. I, I would say one of the, one of the, the real benefits to, to 3D printing is the, the low cost of prototyping. Uh, and 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 this ability to do very quick turnarounds because you can design something, create a three D model, and have it printed sometimes overnight. Um, that saves you a ton of time and cost, as opposed to traditional manufacturing, where you have to create the manufacturing process in addition to the the product itself. If if that makes sense. So low cost of prototyping is definitely one of the, one of the benefits to um, to three D printing. Yeah, and and in fact, one of the I think the most popular use of 3D printers right now is for rapid prototyping, like you had mentioned. They, 3D printers, you get one printer, and that same printer has the ability to print infinite numbers of configurations of objects, right? And so you don't have to design an entire manufacturing process or create some mold for injection molding to realize your first component. Um, you know, in the in the invention process, let's say you're trying to come up with some some component or some part, you don't have to go through the process of creating a mold to see that kind of uh, first iteration of a product and then realize that you mess something up and then have to go create another mold and then injection mold the component. And, you know, you could see how that cycle would get kind of painstaking. But with 3D printing, you just go back into the computer, alter the model a little bit, and that same printer without having to design any other components or create a mold for the injection mold, um, that same printer can just create the new component. And so this rapid prototyping of ideas is super valuable because you would imagine that uh, just by slow or just by kind of speeding up the turnover time or decreasing the time it takes to go through the cycle of new idea, uh, creation of that idea, 
feedback on that idea and just continuing that cycle. By reducing that time, that's less time that you're having to pay staff, that's less materials wasted in creating molds, that's less shipping time, because most of the time your company is not going to have a plastic injection molding machine. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of cost savings and a lot of ability of 3D printers to streamline uh, processes, the, the prototyping process. Now, on the other hand of that, it's not actually that good for mass production. So the injection molding is good because once you create that injection mold of your final design of a component or part, the injection mold only takes a matter of minutes. So you invest the time to create the mold and then you create a new part every five minutes or so. With 3D printing, it can take 24 hours, 48 hours to manufacture a single component. So the, the, the kind of flip side of this ability to do rapid prototyping is that the speed at which it happens isn't really conducive for final production of anything just yet. Yeah, I think that's that's very well explained. And and another benefit to, to 3D printing is that you can add geometric complexity um, at no extra cost, right? And this this kind of contributes, it sort of fits into that same idea of this low-cost rapid prototyping, where if you want to like tweak just a little little part of your product's design, it's very easy to do that. You hop in your computer-aided design software, you make the tweak, and you don't have to change your manufacturing process at all. You just hit print and and the printer can just adjust it uh, just so and, and and create this this new iteration of the product but most of the time when you're mass producing something you're not trying to create iterative changes like that in, in such rapid succession so it's it's just not advantageous for you to have um, this ability to to custom create things like that now now you know I, I know we do talk about Kevin Kelly quite often um, on, on this podcast and perhaps it's been a little while since we brought him up but in his, it has been yeah, actually, it has, well, welcome back, Kevin Kelly. Um, I know. So, he, I don't think we mentioned him at all in the Neuralink podcast. Sadly, we didn't. Um, anyways, but but Kevin Kelly was talking about how one of the one of the big trends. He's the co-founder of Wired. He wrote some books that uh, Evan and I like. Anyways, he he was talking about how one of the things that's going to be really valuable in the future. One of the one of the trends that that we'll see is that experiences and uh, personalized experiences are going to be very valuable. Think about music, for instance, right? Music has been commoditized to the point where you have access to, I think, 50 million songs on, on Apple Music and you pay a, a, a flat monthly fee for that. And it's like 10 bucks a month, right? So there's not, mm -hmm. artists aren't making a ton of money um, by mass distributing their music on platforms like this. Where they're making their money is through music festivals through these unique experiences, right? So, so let's, let's tie this in now to 3D printing. There may be some advantage to creating custom components, right? Rather than just using this for prototyping, perhaps, and I, I don't wanna get into future discussion quite yet, but perhaps there will be a market for, just like, just like there's a market on Etsy for people who kind of design and create their own unique things, perhaps there will be a market for uh, people who perhaps would sell their, their work on, on Etsy, where you communicate directly with the, this artisan who, you know, you communicate your wishes for the product to them. They design it in a 3D printer and they print it and send it to you. So this is a little bit of a tweak. Yes, it's, it's very similar to, to prototyping, but kind of a different application. So the ability to create custom, unique experiences for people, I, I think that actually could be, could be valuable and something that people would be willing to pay for over the next uh, several years. Um, and so shout out to Kevin Kelly on that one. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and what you had said kind of at the beginning of, of what you were getting into, you had said that there's really no um, increased cost for an increase in geometric complexity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the that, That's a, a really big advantage, and I don't want to gloss over that because um, there was an example relatively recently, I think, where GE was trying to manufacture... It might have been fuel injectors or something, but it was a component of one of their jet engines. And the this particular component, because of manufacturing limitations, was previously manufactured in 20 different pieces and then meticulously put together by hand. Because it was too geometrically complex to be uh, produced by any other means, Uh, by any means available at that time, I should say. And then 3D printing came along, and they were able to use 3D printing with its ability to handle geometric complexity and manufacture this component in one piece. And so, yes, you made the production a lot simpler. You weren't manufacturing 20 different components. You're manufacturing one. But you also removed the need for people to spend time and you remove... Wow, removed the need. Did I say removed the nude? I don't know. You, you just did right now. I don't, I don't think you did okay. though. <laughs> but so you removed the need to pay employees to sit there and put these 20 components together. So, you know, that that's a huge advantage. And the reason that they can handle these geometric complexities is because they're being put together in layers, as we discussed previously. And it doesn't really matter how complex each layer is. It's it's just a component, or it's just a slice through a 3D object. And really, anytime you take a slice through any 3D object, it's it's essentially just a series of lines, circles, dots here and there. So it, it reduces the complexity of this otherwise complicated 3D structure into two-dimensional simplicity. Absolutely. And, and I, I think there's another application. I, I really like this point of reducing parts, reducing complexity through, through 3D printing. Yes, as Evan has said, it is is very helpful in reducing cost because you don't have to pay all these people and and it might save you some on, on the production cost itself. But it's also helpful in like mission critical applications, certainly the one that, that Evan described with this, this jet engine. But think about other aerospace applications. For instance, there was an example of an antenna array that was to be placed on a a satellite that would be launched into space. This this antenna array was initially designed to be 100 parts, um, but through 3D printing, it was reduced to one part. And that's very advantageous because you can't, um, unless it's the Hubble Space Telescope, you can't really, once you launch something, you're not gonna go up there and fix it. If, <laughs> if part number 95 breaks down, you know, the, the entire thing breaks and that, and that's an issue. But if right. you just have one piece, reduces complexity and, and for something that really would cost you hundreds of millions of dollars to, to fix, much better to, to use 3D printing. And and for something like a, um, a satellite that's going up into space, again, that's not something that's going to be mass produced. So that fits again mm. in, into why mm-hmm. 3D, 3D printing would be a good application for that because you're producing one of them and and there's this um, very specific niche that, that 3D printing would, would fit into. Just, just as an aside, for some reason, this also just reminds me... It, 3D printing is like the opposite of a CT scanner. Like a CT scanner, like it yeah, scans it yeah. scans a human body and splits a 3D structure up into 2D yep. slices. A 3D uh, printer does the opposite. It takes a, a 3D digital model and then creates uh, 2D slices from it. Wait, did I say that yeah. right? No, yeah, 2D, the, each slice is 2D. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. For the most part. 
Yeah, and he, I mean, he, I suppose it technically has a third dimension because it's like a millimeter tall or whatever. Right, right. Effectively. Yeah. So, anyways, I was just thinking about that that today as I was looking at some some CAT scans. Yeah, absolutely. So things like spacecraft, where it's kind of a one-off thing, um, you don't need mass production, like you were saying. So it's kind of customized, and that ability to make a customized model is is again one of its strengths. So you can imagine that um, in healthcare, for instance, if we need to adapt a... So I ran into this in the hospital once. There was a guy doing research on 3D printing, and there was a particular patient that needed a tracheostomy tube, which is basically a tube that bypasses your mouth. So it's the tubes that you would have seen going straight in through people's throats, essentially, to deliver air down their trachea. But because his spine was so kyphotic, meaning that it was his neck was bent forward significantly more than would be normal, um, he a typical tracheostomy tube did not work for him. And so what they were able to do is take a CT scan of his neck and uh, neck and probably up the upper thorax. But from that CT scan, they designed a and 3D printed a custom tracheostomy tube that would fit down his trachea, allowing to deliver oxygen to his lungs. And so because in healthcare, essentially every, well, not everything, but a lot of things like that um, can take advantage of this one-off nature or customized nature, I think 3D printing is going to play a large role in a lot of that. Can I, yeah, and can I throw in another example while, while we're talking about kind of the the applications of 3D printing in, in healthcare? I, I always just feel this draw to talk about the future applications of these <laughs> technologies. I know it's important to lay the foundation. I think we've laid the foundation, yeah. right? So we, we talked about you start with the digital model, you split that, the, the computer splits that digital model up into 2D slices that are then layered on top of each other with either lasers or lasers or FDM or, you know, whatever you, you decide to use. Um, but, and we've started to talk a little bit about the, the benefits and limitations. So Evan has mentioned this, this really fascinating application. You know, and people are, people are very fascinated by the idea of personalized medicine. And so a, a, lot, of, a lot of my patients, ha- especially the elderly patients, take a lot of pills, like dozens, <laughs> yep. like to, to the point where it, <laughs> I, I have no idea how they keep track of all these pills. And, um, you know, it's almost like, like they get done taking their pills at the end of the day, their stomach is probably just like full of pills. So, but, mm. but the thing is like, what, what could be done, and, and this has been proposed, that you could 3D print custom pills such that rather than one pill being your, your high blood pressure pill and another pill being your pain pill, you can have one pill that contains everything that you, you need to take, uh, and, and each layer of the pill is just like a 3D printed uh, layer of, of each different medication that you need to take. Um, now, of course, this wouldn't necessarily fit with any of the the models that we've talked about previously. This is probably a few years out, um, but I, I did just want to throw in another unique application of 3D printing in, in healthcare for, for the purpose of personalizing medicine and making the lives of patients better because of that. Yeah, so that's super interesting. Um, I almost wonder, because there are companies that are doing that, and I, I guess I wasn't really clear I, I guess I didn't realize that they were using 3d printing technology for this I, I, it almost seems like something where you could you know mix together the chemicals in mm-hmm. one pill but then you might have interactions during the mixing process I suppose so kind of building them up in layers makes sense yeah you do you do want to I would assume you would want to keep them separated in some way I'm not 
um, I'm not an organic chemist. That was definitely not my, my, my favorite class. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I, and, and I think, um, again, like a lot of the, the actual tech for like how you would create that pill, probably very different from the different types of 3d printers that, that we've, we've talked about so far. Um, and there, there would probably need to be a lot of, uh, a lot of research done in, in producing something that could, could do that, um, quickly enough to, um, create pills, uh, at, at mass scale, because again, that, that's one of the benefit. Uh, excuse me, one of the drawbacks of of three D printing is that it's not quite as good at doing things in in mass quantities. Yeah, it's almost like you would have to give each patient a giant vat of powdered form of their medications that they stick into a three huh. D printer that then builds them up. So rather than prescribing pills, you would prescribe, you know vats of powder that would then get 3D <laughs> printed into into pills. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the applications to healthcare are really all over the place. You can imagine that in the in the realm of prosthetics, I mean everyone's shaped mm-hmm. a little bit different and and you know if you do have an amputation unfortunately, um, you know, every amputation is kind of unique in that it's going to leave uh, you know different lengths of tissue here and there. And so you want a a custom prosthetic essentially and we're getting past the point where you can only adjust the height of a prosthetic and the shoe size on a prosthetic things like that you can get to making what looks like I don't want to say it looks like an actual leg in that it it looks biological but it has the shape of a leg it's kind of like an artist artist rendition of a leg you know I, I think that that's really interesting yeah I, I I totally agree that that there would definitely be an application of 3d printing in, in prosthetic limbs because they that is one case in which one size does not fit all, right? Uh, and and I think mm-hmm. having this customizability, these the ability to adjust geometric complexity very easily and quickly, I, th- I think would be extremely advantageous. The, there are some other things within healthcare that have been proposed, like using 3D printing to create organs, to, to, to mm-hmm. grow organs. Yeah, and, I was actually going to touch on that. Yeah, yeah. So this is an interesting one. So, so basically the idea is the... The, the base material that you would be using, rather than it being plastic or metal or, or whatever, you would have cells that a 3D printer would layer one on top of the other until you eventually created a, a, an entire organ. And these cells would have to be layered onto a medium that would be hospitable to the growth of those cells, right? Cells can't just live in thin air, and they certainly can't live without nutrition. So so the, the problem, well, you know, th- I don't know if you wanted to add anything else, Evan. I, I was just about to jump into the, the struggles that have been uh, encountered as, as people have tried to do this. One, one of those being wh- when you try to layer those cells on top of each other, that takes a lot of time. It's it's relatively quick, but in the lifespan of a cell, that, that takes a lot of time. And the cells kind of rely on all of the other cells around them in order to be able to grow and thrive, right? There's intra intercellular communication and, and things like that. But the problem is because these these printing processes take so long and because there's not really a great way to keep those cells alive as you're doing the printing, the one cell layer will die before the next cell layer can be added on top of it. And you end up with a bunch of dead cell layers. That's one of the drawbacks or one of the challenges that, that folks have encountered so far. I'm interested in, in some of your other thoughts about it though. Yeah, yeah. So a way to think about how this works, like you said, they're kind of layering cells. So I think I think they these cells that they're layering 
are kind of pre-embedded in some sort of substrate that can act as a scaffold to mm-hmm. to um, keep them adhered to one another. So it, it, it the ones that I have seen actually look like the um, the FDM printers, the fused deposition modeling, in that the. It, this string of material kind of comes out a nozzle. This string of material, however, mm. is a is a um, so it's a mixture of cells of and substrate. Correct. Correct. Okay, yeah, okay, it's yeah. cells kind of floating within some. Uh, I don't want to say like gelatin, but um, you know, a, a scaffolding that can support the growth of these cells and also kind of stick to whatever is being printed. Gotcha. If that makes sense. So the layers can kind of. Um, it can kind of stick together one after the other. And yeah, so they've had some success, but of course the issue is that there are so many different types of cells. So let's say you wanted to actually print an organ. So it's not like if you wanted to create a lung, for instance, it's not like you just print out lung cells. There are so many different types Mm -hmm. of cells that create a lung. And there's so many different types of extracellular matrix holding these cells together in different parts of the organ. So let's just say you wanted to create lung cells. You would have to get the cells that form the alveoli or the sacs that um, essentially expand and contract and, and fill with air. You'd have to get um, little, there's other types of cells that are designed to secrete a surfactant so that the lungs don't collapse. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that it's not just like, here's a lung cell, and then let's make something that looks like a lung, and then it'll suffice. It's going to be more of a matter of taking a patient's own cells, making those cells what we call pluripotent or totipotent, where those they're kind of stem cells that can become any other type of cell in the body, and then using growth factors either on the scaffold that you're printing hmm. to tell those cells to mature into this particular type of cell in this region and this particular type of cell in another, or um, relying on the fact that the you know architectural DNA of someone's body can kind of take over and direct the cell how, how it needs to to mature. Um, and that's just a lot to work out. Dude, that's so what I was going to say. we're extremely <laughs> far away from this happening. That, yeah, the, the more you describe that, the more, the farther off into the future that seems. That is just <laughs> insanely complex. I, I just mm-hmm. don't know that we have even, um, I, I just don't think that we've approached a, a level of detailed understanding of the human body to make that possible at this point, right? Mm. But but maybe for some some simpler organs, I'm trying to think of a simple organ. Maybe, maybe the liver, like the, the liver is fairly homogenous, but even there, there's like different, yeah. different parts. I don't know, man. Yeah. Fascinating to see if this will, will take place at, at some point in the future. Tremendous complexity here, um, but I think it's pretty interesting. Do you have any other, do you have any other um, healthcare examples? Because I have one that's not in healthcare that I think is really stupid that people have started to do. And I just kind of, I want to be able to talk about it. So I just want to, okay. do, do you have any, well, any hold, off on the, hold off on your stupid <laughs> comment for maybe like <laughs> one minute. I just wanted to go My off on this little comment. tangent. This is, <laughs> this is going to be pretty tangential, but um, when we get to talking about healthcare, um, everything in healthcare is so heavily regulated uh, it, in some places, it kind of gets ridiculous, although you can understand the need for heavy regulation. The thing with 3D printers in general is that any parts produced by them would be very hard to regulate, mm. right? So you could kind of regulate the initial production of that 3D printer because there are established means of regulating the production of 
you know, mass-produced parts or whatever. But because the 3D printer itself is producing components, uh, you know, there's a lot of complexity there that that need that we need to figure out on on how we're going to regulate the components that come off of these 3D printers. Does each one of the components need to be tested? Does the 3D printer need to demonstrate that it is calibrated correctly every once in a while to produce the components that it's supposed to be producing without weaknesses in certain areas of the component. You know, there's there's a lot that can go wrong. So I just wanted to bring that up while I was thinking about it and while we were on this heavily regulated environment of healthcare. So that is an excellent point. And and the reason so so look, yeah, sometimes regulation in healthcare inhibits innovation and inhibits progress. But when you think about the way that Silicon Valley companies work. They, they've their the historical mantra has been to iterate quickly and fail quickly. Problem is, if you fail quickly in healthcare, people die, right? So, so you you want you want there to be some some regulation to prevent that from happening. And I, I guess one of the one of the real benefits to three D printers is the fact that they can be used to create prototypes and and do yeah do rapid prototyping, creating new things quickly. The problem is that anytime you create something new in healthcare, it has to be approved by the FDA. So if you're gonna have to approve everything that's created by a 3D printer, then what's the point of having the 3D printer? So so you like exactly what everyone was saying, you can you can regulate the creation of the 3D printer itself, and I guess you could regulate what the 3D printer produces, but then you lose the benefit of that 3D printer in in, in some ways, in some ways. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, there would have to be something like like now we have we have organ donation set up um and you know there's there's essentially a team of people that look at the organ and well, not not really look at the organ but kind of look at the health of the person that it came from and said okay this is a good organ let's go put it in someone but of course that came out of a biological human being yeah. it wasn't artificially produced so yeah it's it's very you know it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, that's that's well said. Another place that this issue of regulation comes up is, of course, the the prospect of three D printing guns. Right. This is this is like the, one of the things that um, that if you Google three D printers, it's going to come up. You know, near near the top of your search results, the ability to cre- create. Yes, guns is one example, but really anything that's regulated. Um, th- this mm. is just an interesting. Um, controversial part of of 3d printers you can't really regulate what comes out the other end of of a 3d printer and right now what comes out the other end is typically um, it either takes a lot of a fair amount of expertise to create that product and so it's not as democratized as as some other things like the creation of content on the internet Um, but looking looking toward the future a big issue i think will be regulating the stuff that is produced by by 3D printers. So keep that on your radar. Um, as with with any technology, there are side effects to its to its use, um, and I think this is this is one of them. And it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. Yeah. So any of those kind of high consequence areas like healthcare or 3D printing guns, like you were mentioning, those those are areas where we're going to have to do a little critical thinking about how we regulate what comes out the other end of a 3D printer. Um, but there are a lot of scenarios where this ability to create a lot of your own components at home uh, it can be pretty handy. So I actually follow a camera company or a camera equipment company, I should say. The, the name of uh, the company is called Edelkrone, so or Edelkrone, E-D-E-L 
K-R-O-N-E. But they have this line of products called Ortak or Ortak, O-R-T-A-K products. And I think they only have one released at the moment. But essentially, the concept behind this product line is that they you pay a reduced price for a piece of camera equipment, let's say a uh, shoulder stabilizer for a camera. So you would pay a reduced price for that component. They would send you the digital 3D model file. You would print out most of the components on your 3D printer, and then they would send you the components that really, it's not realistic to 3D print, like CNC machined aluminum components, that sort of thing. And so by doing this, they are able to kind of skip out on some of the manufacturing costs of the of this product and then pass those savings onto you. Yeah, no, that's a pretty cool application of, of 3D printing. And I, I hadn't actually heard of any companies that were doing that. So that, that's really fascinating. And I wonder if that's going to become more um, more popular in the future, that are, there are going to be more companies who will send you or email you the, the product and then you print it out at your at your house. I really hope they do that for food. It would be really nice to like not <laughs> not have to like go out to a restaurant. Oh man, that would be great to just like 3D print a pizza <laughs> at home. I would love that. Maybe uh, that's the application for the 3D bioprinting. Yeah, Rather yeah. Than printing organs, you you get chicken cells yeah. <laughs> and create like a chicken breast or something that yeah, grows yeah. in your fridge over a couple of days. The perfect chicken cordon bleu emailed to you <laughs> in in three minutes. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, you know, hey, I, I hope it happens. One thing that I can I just can I just get back to the thing that I think is really stupid about uh, that, that people oh, are trying to. I thought to, it was three D printing guns. No, no, no. That's that's whatever. That that's controversial. I'm glad we discussed that. But but no, here's what's dumb, dude. Look, three D <laughs> printing houses. Wh- why would you want to do this? Like, first of all, the the purpose of three D printing is so that you have something quickly. There's nobody. There aren't people out there that are just like, oh. This I'm gonna buy a house. I need it to be built by tomorrow, or else I'm gonna be sleeping on the streets. That's that's not how it works. Like you have time. You have time when you're building a house, and and a lot of times when when builders build homes, they they typically like have um, you know a lot of uh, the same products and tools and materials that they can just like reuse in, in when they're producing like an entire development. Right, a lot of the a lot of the homes in that development are going to look very similar, and so you can apply um, economies of scale to reduce the cost of those houses by using a lot of the same same stuff to produce a bunch of houses that look the same. But if you're not trying to produce one of those kind of stock looking suburban houses, if you're trying to make a custom built house, you probably it's okay for it to take a little while and it's okay for it to like be, uh, be an experience, be, have it, have it be custom made. There's almost a, um, it's almost better for it to not be 3d printed. It's almost better for it to be like wood and brick and have a, all that stuff kind of come together in, in the final product. It adds to the house. So the idea of 3d print, I don't know. I can see 3d printing being useful if you're like on Mars and right, or on the moon and you're right. trying to take like the moons and the Mars's like surface dust and, you know, print a house, but there's just no need in suburban America for 3d printed houses. Prove me wrong. Like you can, you can disagree with me. I just think think it's uh, dumb. No, so I as I was doing research, I came across this concept of 3D printing houses and then I saw one where you know, it was probably like a 10 by 10 house, you know, big air quotes there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
and it was just an experiment on 3D printing a house. But can you walk me through how that's done? Yeah. Because I'm imagining 3D printers, if you, okay, let's just say fused deposition modeling. How in the world are you going to print a wall with that? You yeah. know what I mean? Like you would, the scale of 3D printer that I'm imagining would be huge unless they, I'm just completely overlooking something. Yeah, no, they're huge. So these are like big, like cranes with like think about like fdm printing like but what comes out of the nozzle is like concrete right and that's another thing so so you basically are just like you 3d print like the outside wall of the house and like the 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 big concrete nozzle like comes out right and so then you can you're you're really limited also in the materials that you can use to produce the skeleton of the house you're not going to 3d print like wood you know so it's going to be like concrete which i think is like very cold and anyways if you're a listener out there and you have a a concrete house that i'm sure it's lovely we'd love to come visit you but but typically like (laughs) i I want there to be more (laughs) that was really weird dude i like the modern look i plan on my house being all concrete glass and metal oh my gosh well actually okay that's fair i've seen the designs for your house that i'll I'll give it to you that that'd be cool but are you gonna are you gonna have your house 3d printed there's no, no need so for that. I'm, it's custom made. There's no. Here's my question. Okay. Yeah. So you are, not you, but let's just say someone in general has designed a house. Yeah. Okay. So I'm thinking, you know, making cross sections through a house. Yeah. Let's say you're at the level of a window. So you would uh-huh. just, as you're going around creating this outside perimeter of yep. the house, you would just stop the flow of concrete. Yep. Yep. Move over four feet for a four foot window, uh-huh. and then resume the flow exactly. of concrete. Exactly. Okay. It's like a dot matrix. So is it printer. a special mixture of concrete? Uh, look, I didn't. I didn't really look into that. I, I okay. think I just heard the idea, saw it, and I was like, "That is very dumb." And I, I, I should have given it. Uh, sure, Evan. I, I should have given it a, another shot. I should have done my research more thoroughly. <laughs> I, I, and and look, look, there there are places where there are housing shortages, and so the ability to um, produce houses very, very quickly with, with 3d printing. That might be actually a very good thing, but I think in general, there, there are better applications for, for 3d printing. That's interesting. Okay. Hmm. I've learned something on our podcast today. Well, I learned a few things too. I just, I just didn't say it. So, I mean, it's probably, it's probably, okay. To answer your question, there's probably some kind of like unique, um, type of concrete and it may not be concrete itself. It, it, um, the videos that I've seen, the way it's been described, it, it, it looks like concrete, but I'm sure that they have other um, materials kind of like uh, built into it because obviously mm-hmm. if you just like let concrete flow out, it's it's not going to hold its shape, right? So so it's probably right. a, a different different material than, than just concrete. So that's a great, great clarifying question. Yeah, that's interesting. Before we got into all of that, uh-huh. you were talking about, we were talking about these products that, you know, you would essentially send people the file. It's almost like faxing, right? You kind of fax someone a physical product instead of faxing them a, a fax. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. You know, you you send them the designs for, let's say, this camera stabilizing rig, and then they then they make it on their own three D printer. And you were kind of alluding to the fact that you know that'd be that'd be great if if more and more of the market just in general. All, all sectors of every market kind of moves in that direction where instead of having to ship components to each other, we could, you know, instead of Amazon shipping us um, some product, they can just send us a, a, a design file. Mm-hmm. But I think that that has interesting implications 
for intellectual property. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. You know, like the <laughs> the the music and and movie industry was completely wrecked by the internet, right? As soon as we had the internet, we could send each other files. We no longer had to go out and buy the physical manifestations. Um, you know, we we didn't have to buy CDs or whatever happened to be the the chief technology at that time. But it, and in that way, it kind of gave. It, the, the people who produced the music no longer had control over its distribution, right? And in a similar mm-hmm. way, if we think about physical products, let's say someone spends years developing this specific design and they would normally be able to patent that. But now, you know, every 12-year-old kid with a 3D printer has this cool design for whatever abstract product we're thinking of and then they're able to print this out. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there is a... a First of all, let me agree with you. Yes, I, I think this brings up some very interesting, um, a very interesting discussion about intellectual property and like how do you copyright stuff and and it will if three D printers um, become as popular as we are describing them and if they are able to do the things that we're describing, then then yes, this will be a heyday for for pirates, right? But um, but I think at the same time, there is a little bit of a limitation when, when you're distributing purely digital things, when you're distributing um, electrons, right? When you're distributing zeros and ones on the internet, there is no physical component there. And so there is far, much less barrier to copying it. When when you're printing something, it, there is, you do have to buy the physical, like the material itself. And so there is a little bit more of a barrier to piracy in, in that sense. But, but I think, I think we live in an age where the, the real value is not in the, the thing itself, but in the, the idea behind it, right? It's ideas that, that are, are very valuable. And so mm-hmm. finding ways to, um, copyright or pro- protect the, you know, intellectual property of, of these things, I, I think will be, um, uh, yeah, a, a challenge, a real challenge, for sure. I think it's a great point that you raised. Yeah, I, that, that is a good point, though. With with the things that I brought up, music and movies, you're just kind of getting these ones and zeros like you had mentioned and then passively consuming them on your computer. There's no extra step. But with right. 3D printing, you have to buy the stuff, so you still would have to spend some money and you still have to produce it. Yes, and there, that's and, interesting. And electrons are essentially unlimited, right? The, you, we have essentially unlimited electricity. You can use your laptop as many as you, many times as you want, right? More right. or less to, to listen to stuff. But you will run out of whatever it is, like plastic or whatever that you're melting to create the product. So, so there are some um, some differences there. But I, I still generally agree with your idea. Yeah, I think the main concern is just that whoever created the initial design and therefore owns the intellectual property. Yeah previously would have been able to control the the kind of revenue stream from that by controlling the manufacture of that object but by kind of democratizing the manufacture they no longer control the revenue well, stream sure sure would be a big concern but but we talked about this this earlier I think this is um, advantageous for that designer right the, the fact that economies of scale are on their side so if somebody was trying to mass somebody stole a design and was trying to like print it a bunch of times and and sell it right it is not going to be as economically beneficial for them to 3d print a bunch of things as it would be to develop the manuf- a, a a unique manufacturing process for that product and then try to sell that you know you know what I'm saying so like Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think the, I think I was thinking about 
let's say someone created some product that is now in vogue in high schools across America. Sure. And you know, each household the fidget now has spinner their own 3D tomorrow. printer because it's, it's, you know, because the parents use uh, the 3D printer too. Yeah, yeah. And now instead of going to the store and buying this product, the kid can get the digital design or the, 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 you know, the 3D model file and just print it himself. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it absolutely does. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And, and so maybe then there will be, there will have to be some, some regulation, some software that, um, essentially does a, um, what's, what's that term called when you steal somebody's idea? <laughs> like when you copy their work, why am I blanking on this term? Like plagiarism? Plagiarism. Maybe there's, <laughs> it's been a long, it was a, dude, it was a long day. I'm telling I you. Understand, man. I understand, man. <laughs> um, yeah, plagiarism, right? So, so maybe there's some, some plagiarism software that is able to, identify whether the design that has been stolen oh may, or uh, is is a stolen idea and and whether maybe 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 each of the files has to be digitally signed right there are ways of doing that with like cryptography and stuff mm-hmm. it has to be digitally right. signed so that it, it can be printed and if it's not digitally signed then the printer will not print it right um, and that might be mm-hmm. a requirement for, for 3D printers. And of course, you could hack the 3D printer and print whatever you want. And pe- there will be people who do that. But that actually seems like a pretty reasonable way to do it, that you have to digitally sign these things. And that might be an interesting way of controlling intellectual property. Not foolproof, yeah, but, like but on some of my, helpful. Some of my like instrument plugins that I have, mm-hmm. I have to have a physical USB device with yeah. a code plugged into my computer to use them. So maybe something like that. Yeah. Or, you know, any, any one of those solutions that you mentioned. For sure. And and one more final barrier to entry for people trying to 3D print stuff. Uh, I also don't think 3D printing is as easy as it was originally built to be. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, yep. You know, I think when it was presented, I don't know, maybe four years ago, three years ago, something, when it was originally getting, getting all this hype, like we discussed, it was like, oh, everyone's going to have a 3D printer in their, I don't want to say kitchen, but in their garage or something. Yeah, yeah. And then, They'll just be sent stuff and it'll just automatically print. But the actual act of creating a 3D print is kind of complicated. And it takes someone like us who enjoys working with technology, at least currently, uh, who enjoys working with technology and troubleshooting things and understanding how everything works. Uh, it takes someone like that right now to own a 3D printer for the most part because there's a lot that can go wrong. Like the the extruded plastic might not stick to the base plate. So then everything moves around and you're just kind of spewing plastic strings everywhere. Or um, the plastic extruder isn't getting hot enough. Or there's a problem with the connection between the printer and the computer. There's all this kind of stuff that goes wrong that at the current moment makes it more of an enthusiast level thing, right? And so I think that that's, that's going to be another barrier to entry. For sure. I'm actually watching a documentary right now called general magic general magic Mm. is is the um which so far i can recommend i made it about halfway through and then i fell asleep not because it's boring but because i was just very very tired general magic is the story of this company that was founded in the early 1990s i'm not going to give any spoilers but what 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 you reminded me of there was essentially 1970s computing Right. At that Mm, time, it was just for enthusiasts. It wasn't until, you know, essentially Apple came along and and created a computer that could be used by the masses. Right. 
and, and didn't require a ton of technical knowledge for it to work. I think we could be at a similar moment for 3D printing, right? And maybe this is a mm-hmm. prolonged period of of time where, where these 3D printers can only be used by the enthusiast, by the, the person who really wants to invest like an entire weekend print, printing something out. But I think at some point, somebody's going to be able to make it user-friendly to the point that this will be adopted by by the masses. Um, and I don't know when that will happen or, or if it will happen, but I suspect it will happen at some point. Yeah. So you think that it's going to reach the point where every pretty much everyone has one? Um. Let, let me rephrase what I was saying. I, I think it could happen. I think it could be done. I actually don't know that there's enough need for that. Um, it's very right. easy to have things shipped to us, right? Um, <laughs> right. Like Amazon's a- starting one-day shipping. Amazon works really well. And, and I actually think that rather than, in the future, rather than owning a lot of things – people will probably rent more things. We will have subscription services to stuff so that uh, there are a lot of advantages to that. Um, like if if you 3D print something, that it's yours and, and you will be the one that has to upgrade it, right? But if if you are subscribed to a scri- subscription service, I'm trying to think of something like, I don't know, let, let's just say headphones, right? You, you 3D print your own headphones. That's obviously out of the realm of possibility at this point. You 3D print your own, own headphones. Those are yours until they break. But what if you like, um, are subscribed to a service that sends you the best headphones uh, once a year, right? And you just pay a monthly fee for that. Um, anyways, I, I'm kind of getting off topic here, but the idea is I, I think we will move away from an ownership model to a subscription rental model uh, for, for most things, um, right? That's, you look at music, that's that's how music worked. You used to own your music, now you just kind of sort of rent the right to listen to songs. You, you know what I'm saying? So so I think that that could be a, a direction that we're heading, and I, and I don't know that 3D printing would uh, really jives with that um, that trend. I, I You know, for, for, for big things, right? But sure, I'm sitting sure. here, there just happens to be a Pelican case in front of me for m- one of my cameras. And, you know, things like that, you know, I think it's better to own them. Sure. Most people aren't just going to go out and rent a Pelican case. And obviously, I'm just, I'm not trying to argue with you. I agree, I agree with you. Please uh, argue with me. For the largest push, push extent. Push back, but absolutely. The, <laughs> the, uh, I think that for the type of things that 3D printing can be used for, might be better for ownership rather than subscription sure. service. Because no sure. one's going to subscribe to access to a Pelican case or access to some little plastic component that they could make with a 3D printer. I would but, subscribe. Well, I would subscribe to a 3D printed pizza, man. I definitely, definitely would. <laughs> <laughs> Food subscription, anything consumable. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 Absolutely. for sure. <laughs> that reminds me of like that Spy Kids thing. It's not 3D yeah. printing, but do you remember in, I think it was Spy Kids 2, where they, did you not see Spy Kids 2? Okay. I mean, they all kind of blur together, to be honest. Okay. That was not exactly high quality (laughs) filmmaking. I don't know. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that's pretty much it. I think 3D printing, really, really interesting. Um, We're we're just kind of on the cusp of of what might be possible. Again, this is 1970s computing. Uh, It's analogous to 1970s computing. I think the next few years will be very interesting. Uh, A lot of this stuff, truthfully, really took off since like 2008, 2009. Um, that, that's around the time that um, some, some patents on certain 3D printers were, were made public. We're in the, the early stages here. Um, nothing else to add. Do you have anything else to add? Just to kind of summarize, I think that overall, it's it was originally billed, 3D printing was originally billed as this 
revolutionary technology. But I think moving forward, it's got kind of complementary characteristics in the scheme of what we would consider traditional manufacturing. And, and because of that, there are some things that 3D printing will be far superior at and other use cases where 3D printing might not really make sense. So I think that moving forward, the, the way that I'm thinking about it is that 3D printing is just another technology in the toolkit of bringing ideas to life and won't necessarily supplant any of the traditional ones. Well said. I have nothing else to add. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of Only Tech Will Tell. We always appreciate our audience feedback. And uh, if you get a chance, we, we encourage you to give us a five-star rating, share us with your friends, and we'll catch you in the next one. 